beginning a new series uh, today uh, that will just last six, uh, six weeks. Um, but around the topic of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is uh, wanting to do in our world, but also in our lives. I think that Christianity as a whole doesn't really make sense except that you understand what the Holy Spirit is doing. Christianity as a religion is not one where you just say, I believe. I think that song, by the way, was brilliant. And it was such a a great thing to be able to sing together. Put together in around the 4th century uh, for the best part of 1500, 1600 years, Christians around the world have gathered around those statements. And they've sung them and they've said them in times of civil war. They've sung them and said them in times of massive epidemic, in the Black Plague. They've sung them at times of real blessing and expansion. But wherever they've been, they've said, that's what we believe. And because we believe that, then actually the way we see the world is different. And I think it's so important that from time to time we come back And we ask ourselves the really simple question, what do you actually believe? And if some of those, because they're so stark and in your face, they stretch you, so they ought to. But it's not simply about your head. It's also about your heart. In other words, it's not just, I think that Christianity makes sense. I think it actually makes sense. But actually it's not just a rational religion. There's something about the work of the Holy Spirit, God's active presence in his world, that says actually it's not just about knowing stuff, it's about experiencing something. When Jesus was with his disciples, he said, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send you another one like me, another comforter, another agent who will be with you. And the word another means the same as. Um, I don't know, this, this, this just might be me, but I get irritated when I go shopping for certain things that fashions change and I can't get what exactly I want. I've got a pair, these, these boots are really straightforward and simple, okay? And I really like them and I've liked a lot. Of, and I, so whenever I see these, I just buy another pair. I may not need them, I just buy them because I know that they're very difficult to find out. Christmas, Christmas list. Because when I, when I go to the shoe shop, I don't actually want to go through a whole stack of different styles. I just want to buy another pair that are exactly the same as the previous pair. This may be a man thing. I don't want to have to think through. I just want another. Some of you are going, what's wrong with yours? They're clearly different. But they're exactly the same. That's what I want. And that's the word that Jesus used when he said, I'm going to send another one to you. Do exactly the same thing. Except this is the difference. When Jesus was on earth, and who amongst us wouldn't say, I think I'd find it easier to live as a Christian if I could walk by Jesus, or Jesus would walk by me every day. But actually, Jesus says, I'll do something better. I will send another one the Holy Spirit, who will live in you. 
the breath, the presence of God. The Spirit does so much, draws us to Christ, sanctifies us, empowers us, fills us, enables us, strengthens us, seals us, walks with us. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the Spirit says to us. In Today we'll look at the Spirit says, come. The Spirit says, live. The Spirit says, create. The Spirit says, speak. The Spirit says, act. And the Spirit says, change. The way the Spirit actually interacts with the normality of our everyday life. When you read the Bible, sometimes you kind of are surprised by the fact that some things are simply not explained. And if you've got your Bible uh, or a Bible that you can access, I want to read, and I want to just very quickly this morning uh, look at two passages. One is the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And one is the very end of the Bible, Revelation 22. So... For those of you that are not that great at finding your way to the Bible, today's a great morning. Because it's like, it's the first page and the last page, alright? That's where we're going. There's the first page and the last page. This is how the Bible begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's how the Bible begins. And immediately, you're sort of like, well, who's the Spirit of God then? What's that? In the Bible, in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament, which was written in, written in Greek, the words they use for spirit can also be used for wind or breath. So it would be quite legitimate to say the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the wind of God or the breath of God was hovering over the waters. This is like prehistory. This is way back. This is as far as you can imagine and further where the world and the earth and the heavens are created, but there's no, there's no order. It is just disordered. And yet the Spirit broods over it. The Spirit hovers over it in order to make the world beautiful. John Calvin was a, a theologian in the 16th century, and he said that at this point the world was simply made up of confused emptiness. Great phrase, confused emptiness. And yet, even in confused emptiness, the Spirit is hovering over this confusion. The next verse, and God said, let there be light. It's the Spirit and the Word that God brings life. This is the introduction to the God you're worshipping this morning. The God who hovers over confusion and emptiness and disorder and brings something beautiful out of it. The Spirit and the Word, the Spirit that's actually never away from all that God has created, even 
in its most difficult state and God who speaks into it. He says, let new life come forth. Right at the beginning of the Bible, where the whole talk is of creation, how do we be who we are? Out of nothing, the Spirit comes and says, I want something brilliant to begin. I was putting all this together on Friday, and um, as I was doing this, I was flicking back and forward to the BBC News site and the stuff that was going on in Paris. And that's the reality of part of our world, isn't it? Part of our world where it just seems so disordered. And this week you'll, go and you'll find other news stories and other situations, and so it goes. And the danger is that what we do is we gather in church and we sing, Jesus is our Lord, as though, well, we're okay, and he's my Lord, he's my personal Lord, but actually the rest of the world's too complicated. But from the very first page of the Bible, it tells us none of us. God, by his Spirit, hovers over the disorder in order that something might be created. There is no part of this world where Jesus does not say, that's mine. And so for you and for I who live in this world and sometimes have to, sort of people will say, well, if there's a God, why does he? Well, actually, because God's always worked with disorder. He's always worked with that brilliant phrase, confused emptiness. He doesn't give up on it. He doesn't say there's nothing I can do with it. But actually God comes and brings out of that situation something brand new, something beautiful. The Spirit of God breathing over the waters, brooding over the waters. Then if you get to the end of the Bible, chapter 22 of Revelation, remember that uh, the book of Revelation begins with uh, letters to seven churches. Seven churches that were in Turkey. Uh, seven churches that were struggling just to keep faithful to Jesus. Seven churches that weren't always uh, very faithful. Some of whom were really struggling but very faithful. Some of whom were very successful and not very faithful. And and through the, the, the letter, uh, the, the vision that John has, John is able to say to people, in Turkey in those days, he says, you know that it's so difficult to stay faithful, but I want to keep on reminding you that whoever is in power, Jesus is actually Lord. And some of you might be martyred, and some of you might lose what you have. I still want to remind you that Jesus is Lord. And he gets to the end of that book. And in, um, well, I'm going to read from verse 12. It's Jesus speaking, saying, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what they've done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That is just A in Greek and Z in Greek, really. I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life. They may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the adulterers, the idolaters, sorry, 
and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Because in this place, there's only purity and rightness. There's not people trying to get one over on you. There's not people trying to use you. There's not people who devalue you. In this place, God says, there's only people who are for you. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I'm the root and the offspring of David. I'm the bright morning star. And then you get this phrase, the spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The bride is a reference to the people of God, the church. And the spirit the Spirit is so committed to us and so close to us that when we say, oh God, come and sort this mess out, it's not just you and I saying that out of a sense of frustration, but it's the Spirit himself, God himself, praying with us, saying, come. The Holy Spirit who broods over emptiness at the beginning, is the Spirit who at the end says, in the midst of the mess, the Spirit himself is saying, come. I love that idea. The earliest prayer of the New Testament Christians was a little one-word prayer. It was simply Maranatha. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. And the only people who pray, come, Lord Jesus, are the people who don't think things are right around here. If you're at ease, if everything's fine, if you're at peace with power and the way things are and who's got riches and who's got poverty, if you're at peace with who's doing what to whom, you don't want Jesus to come because when Jesus comes, they'll disrupt everything. But if you look at the world around you and go, I am indignant with what's going on, you'll pray, come, Lord Jesus. Because whatever happens next will be right. Come, Lord Jesus. And the Spirit prays, come. Before Christmas, we were looking at Romans, and uh, we spent quite a long time in Romans, but there was the eighth chapter, and we didn't spend half enough time in it. But let me remind you of some of the things that Paul says about the Spirit. It's by the Spirit, Paul says, that we cry, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit who says, I belong to God. It's the Spirit, in verse 16, that testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. It's the Spirit that says we're co-heirs with Christ. Verse 23. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit 
because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Paul uses fairly technical language to explain this very simple thought, that when you are in a situation where you go, God, if you don't work, I don't know what's going to happen next, and you don't think you've got a prayer in the body, you've got no more words because you've used all your words, and anyway your words sound so futile, when you simply groan before God, and cry out. It's the Spirit Himself who is so committed to you that goes, I'm praying that for you. The New Testament has this idea that the Spirit of God is not out there somewhere just coming on you when you need a little bit of turbo power in life, but the Spirit is the one who is so committed to His own people and to the world that the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Jesus, come. Come and finish all that's begun. Lord Jesus, come and bring the newness that we long for. It's what Jesus did. When Jesus came in his ministry, what was the first sermon he preached? Well, in Luke's gospel, we're told the first sermon that Jesus preached was this. He goes home to Nazareth where he's been brought up. You can imagine this, can't you? You go home. Everybody knows you. And you go to your synagogue, your local gathering of, of worshippers. And we're told, he on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is on Jesus. Because everybody who's bound, who's imprisoned, who's sick, who's blind, who's oppressed, freedom is a possibility for them. Because Jesus has come. And that's the big deal when he was going through first century uh, Israel. And he was healing people who are blind. And the women who've got uh, health conditions that mean that they seem to be unclean. When he's bringing people who died back to life, when he's touching people who've got skin complaints and they're getting healed, they're coming back into community. God's doing something new because the Spirit is on him. This is the Spirit of God. The Spirit who longs for change. The Spirit who longs for our world to be different. The Spirit who stands with the church and cries out, Come! And then finally, back to that bit in Revelation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, verse 17. And let those who hear say, Come. And let those who are thirsty, Come. And let all who wish take the free gift of the water of life. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. What's the Spirit saying come about? The Spirit is crying out, come with his people 
for our world, that our world would be renewed. It's not right around here. It's not right. Sometimes when, because, because we've received the Spirit, then sometimes we act in ways that actually demonstrate what life could be like. There's a lady in our church called Vera who is around 90 years old. And she's very poorly. And very frail. And uh, she's... Uh, decided she didn't want to go to hospital and so she's being cared for at home. There are a number of people that you're sitting with this morning who are going in morning and night to put her to bed, to get her up, to feed her, to change her, to make sure that she's okay. And it's astounding the time and the effort that are being given to do it's like a picture of this is what it looks like when the spirit has been involved in people's lives and you're no longer living for yourself but you go, I don't mind going to change an old lady I'm not trained for it, it's not my job I'm certainly not getting paid for it but I don't mind doing it and part of the cry is God that's how life could be where the frailest is cared for by those who are not paid to care. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting for a moment that we don't need people who are paid to care. It's not a diminishing of them. But what I'm saying is that actually we don't live just for ourselves, but the Spirit comes and says, actually, there's a new use. So when you're praying, come, Holy Spirit, you're praying, God, let's, let your kingdom come in a way that actually we care for one another in ways that nobody would ever expect. Where people who don't have somewhere to live, find somewhere to live. Where people don't have a job, find something to work at. Where those who are the weakest are cared for, those who see themselves as strong, and where those who are strong see themselves as more, uh, are stronger because they've got people around them who others discount. Lord, may you come. One of the things that we've been thinking about uh, in church recently uh, among some of us about, well, why do we exist? What's the church about? What is our church about? And we've begun by saying our, our vision is actually not really about our church at all, but our vision is about our city. We have a vision of our city where the glory of God is seen. And what we mean by that is where people are valued, where people know their worth, where people know that they're cared for, where people know that actually they have a life expectancy and a, an expectation of life that reflects what God would want for them. And from here, from our church, we seek to make that a reality. Come here. The Bible ends by saying this. If you hear that, then you cry out, come. And if you hear that and you are thirsty and you're at the end, you come and cry out, come Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. The Bible finishes with this invitation to those who are thirsty. You've heard all this. 
If you're thirsty, you cry out, come. If you're empty, you cry out, come. That's how the Bible ends. With this brilliant affirmation from Jesus that says, yeah, the Spirit will come. He will come this morning and will fill you and you will know the presence of God for actually I am coming to bring the kingdom fully. The Spirit, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit hovers over confused emptiness. The Spirit brings newness into places where there's nothing. He did it in Jesus and he continues to do it and he'll do it through the church. The Spirit, Christ, come. And our echo is, come Holy Spirit. This morning, that prayer, come Holy Spirit, along with Maranatha, along with, I believe in God the Father. These are old, old prayers. This prayer, come Holy Spirit, is again one of these early church prayers. Come Holy Spirit. This is not your head just that needs to be convinced. It's not you trying harder. It's you coming and saying, me coming and saying, God, without you can do nothing. We're empty without you. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us.